Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Farmer Forecast podcast with Ag Econ's Janine Powell and John Welsh, who join us now with an update on the seasonal summer outlook. John, before we take a look at the next three months, how can you explain the dry November we've just had across the East Coast when we're all expecting wet or potentially even flooding? Janine, I'm not sure if Dan Murphy's is sponsoring the Bureau Outlook or not, but for those who planted summer crops, they could honestly be forgiven for looking at the bottom of a Great Northern or a Forex can for the answer. <laughs> uh, the Bureau released their monthly decile maps uh, for us to notice emphatically red patches, which is decile one throughout you know, the northern half of New South Wales and the southern southeast corner of, of Queensland. So... Uh, Look, I know hindsight is marvellous, but looking back through our late September and October e-news, there was a misalignment among multi-week models, you know, the SAM index and a very seasonal, very bullish seasonal outlook casting a shadow of doubt in retrospect. How can that happen in this day and age when we've got the supercomputers looking at weather and the seasonal outlooks? How can some get it so wrong? It's hard to imagine, but... Models run on different timescales, are run by different departments in most cases. So you would kind of think that the one model producing a wet seasonal outlook, um, it's it's difficult to picture that model, that same model predicting a dry, you know, multi-week or or something contrary uh, at the the same time. But forecasting departments are very separate. In the bomb, for example, I know that. That's why we think it's worth considering what phases the main drivers are in at that time for those for certain geographies, either wet or dry, uh, such as the MJO and the SAM, to look then concurrently at model outputs alongside these drivers. The cautionary headline we issued on the 6th of November for a drier outlook turned out to be timely, which was completely against seasonal model consensus and all the media that filled rural press airwaves at the time for wet and more wet. Well, that is definitely a topic we could chat about and fill the whole podcast up with, but I think people are tuned in to listen to Seasonal Summer Outlook. So with the range of outcomes, depending on where you're located, what factors are generating this uncertainty? I mean, it's a La Nina now. To quote scientists, it's as strong as the 2010-11 season. What's happening? Well, Janine... The strength of the La Nina is quite a basic measurement of the amount of warm water in one particular region of the tropical Pacific. And the scientists tend to get pretty excited by those numbers in that one little box. Uh, This year is certainly a year when the outlook is very nuanced and generalising from broad brush historical events is, in my mind, a dangerous strategy to live by. So looking first at the background conditions, we are quite obviously still in the dry phase of the IPO. So for those that don't know, this is a long multi-year wet dry phase that oscillates every five to seven years. The maps that illustrate these phases very clearly on the Long Paddock website leave most farmers transfixed at what has occurred and the extreme conditions that characterise our climate. In a recent interview with Dr Ali Theobald here at Farmer Forecast, remember she discussed how she found La Nina events were generally far more effective in the wet background phase of the IPO than in a dry phase. So look, it sounds complicated, but 
think of a bigger picture driver at play as a backdrop to what we may get year on year. Certainly some caution with the dry IPO phase and we'll all be keen to see that one return to wet. Is there anything else that's worth a mention? Yes, so traditional La Nina events, we have quite warm waters in the Coral Sea and the Arafura Sea to the north of Australia and again off Australia's northwest, which which are warming. But this year's been quite different. We've had a noticeable cooling in the Coral Sea and similarly Gulf of Carpentaria and the waters to the north in the Arafura Sea, which is a little different to what we we would expect in a traditional La Nina year. So uh, to some degree, it's the background hangover from, you know, the dry five to seven years and the dry IPO phase that still seems to be haunting us in that area. So in 2019, these cooler waters in, to the north of Australia would certainly hamper the MJO as it would move from west to east to hit this cool band of water and then die. So the tropical pulse of moist air that we would normally anticipate in our summers simply died off from these cooler waters. So until these warmer waters, uh, until the, the waters in the Coral Sea and the, the Arafura Sea actually warm up, um, you know, analysts are saying that most of the convective processes could be further at further west longitudes uh, in Australia's northwest rather than Australia's east. So some caution there, but uh, the analogue years that some analysts have put forward are the 1983 84 summer which was actually a bell ringer for New South Wales and 1989 uh, 88-89 sorry it was much tougher in Queensland but it did rain well across the mid-latitudes so you know through New South Wales South Australia and Victoria. Um, I've followed analog years closely and I believe they belong in the mix of info. Well, there certainly is a big mix of information and I think that's where some of the traditional media is lacking in discussing the complexity of the climate. It's not just about the La Nina. So if somebody was looking to jump in and maybe plant a summer crop in a cereal fallow or wanting to buy some stock if there looked to be a break coming, what would be the main signpost for decision-making, say, for New South Wales or then Queensland? So I guess, Janine, let's, let's not forget for a moment that uh, while, there's some, while there is some caution on the horizon, certainly at the moment there is large-scale tropical moisture building in almost all layers of the atmosphere to our tropical north. So there has been flooding through areas of Asia recently as a result of that through the tropics. Um, we've not seen moisture on a decent scale like this since 2012. So for most of us, the thought of this delivering proper rain persisting and even flooding is an aberration to some degree or a mythical thing that the old timers referred to. Mm-hmm. The synoptic situation at the moment isn't settled, consistent with a La Nina phase. With We have high pressure off Australia's east coast deflecting moisture away from us and neither the SAM or the MJO really are showing characteristics of wanting to cooperate in wet phases and they may may well do so in the next two to three weeks. This is one of those occasions when the big picture is reasonably primed for a a game-changing event of say one to two hundred mils but we have to wait until a few factors click into gear 
So in New South Wales, my own personal view is southern and central areas will probably fare reasonably well this summer. For Queensland areas, I'd be a little bit more cautious, although the coastline seems to be in the sweet spot for general circulation models, assuming the coral sea will eventually warm up. Well, I'd think some of those southern growers still waiting to harvest are going to be hoping that that break doesn't come just yet, whereas a bit further north, we're certainly waiting. So given that the models and the guidance has been a bit all over the place lately and people are a bit nervous, what tactics or strategies do you think we could put into place over the coming weeks and months? Well, rightly so, Janine. People are a little bit gun-shy and nervous as to going into a La Nina that's completely contrary to where it has been historically. So that's why we do what we do. Uh, We consider multiple angles, um, a suite of analysis and opinion from researchers globally, The lack of confidence in the La Nina is starting to show in livestock markets and with mineral activity in the sorghum plant, feed grains markets are also starting to firm and they could firm before Christmas as the planting window closes. So what we need to do is keep a regular update on what is a reasonably promising shift in the patterns predicted for mid-December and hope some of the bugbears of our spring, which I've mentioned, change change and uh, fall into line with historical outcomes and sing from the same song sheet. So the shift we're looking for would be SAM and the MJO? Yes, Janine, in New South Wales for sure. Uh, The SAM is a critical driver for our late spring and summer months for New South Wales. So in Queensland, the the ocean temps in the Coral Sea and Arafura Seas and an active MJO is, is certainly, apart from the Darling Downs, which is more beholden to the SAM, uh, an active MJO certainly would would help confidence levels. And uh, so far we haven't seen that. So I wouldn't be actioning any decisions, you know, in the next few weeks based on colour model guidance alone uh, with things fairly delicately poised at the minute. So trying to pin down an exact day for when things change is very difficult. So stay engaged with information and have some plans in place for things to turn around. That would be my advice for sure. Well, here's hoping that that break comes very soon. Plenty of farmers are going to be pretty disappointed if it doesn't turn out to be a wet summer. We've had a lot of technical talk here today, a fair few acronyms and some jargon as well. If you're not so familiar with the science and what climate drivers are or how they affect you, we've got heaps of resources which you can find on our homepage in the Climate Toolbox. In particular, there's some great animations that will help you visualise the SAM and the MJO, which are certainly a big part of our climate in productive areas of New South Wales and Queensland. Thank you for tuning in to Ag Econ's Farmer Forecast podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And for more information, head over to our website at www.agecon.com.au.